Uh, well, good morning. Welcome to Citizens. My name is CJ. I haven't got a chance to meet you. Um, so this morning, we are going to talk about childbirth, uh, which is something I obviously don't have firsthand experience with. Um, I mean, I've had a vasectomy, so that's kind of the same thing, right? That's the male equivalent. Um, I actually just have always wanted to say vasectomy in a sermon, and I'm on my way out, so <laughs> now's the time. Uh, some bucket list things. Uh, no, of course, uh, those two medical experiences don't even compare, right? I could have gotten my vasectomy with a baby aspirin. So forgive me, ladies, as I kind of reach beyond my capacity this morning. So in an effort to better understand women who are giving birth, I read a story of a great writer, a hilarious woman named Cheryl, who writes about her natural birth experience in a story she describes as a spectacularly painful, utterly preposterous 43-hour labor of love. Is 43 hours a long time to be in labor? It is. Okay, I'm getting nodding. So she talks about how when she was pregnant, she was reading all these stories about women and the like, early stages of their labor who are like baking muffins and watching Sleepless in Seattle. Um, and she writes, it didn't go like that at all. It was like someone was operating a jackhammer in the lower half of my body every five minutes for hours on end. I had to wander the house and lean on things and process the pain with moans and ghastly facial expressions. In between one of these contractions, my husband implored me to eat a bowl of chocolate pudding. I ate it, gratefully for, grateful for the small temporary pleasure it afforded me. Then I had a contraction and puked it all up. Every time I had a contraction, I thought, you have got to be freaking kidding me. I'd made a little edit there for your sake and for the podcast. It seemed preposterous that this was the way birth got done. I felt solidly and profoundly connected to all the female mammals of the world, not just the women who'd birthed, but the cats and the bears and the lemurs too. I howled and moaned and mooed like a cow as I contracted every two, three, four, five minutes. When I had a contraction, my entire body would be instantly flooded with sweat, the heat unbearable. Then as soon as the contraction ended, I'd be freezing cold, shivering violently until the next round began again. My husband and two women friends were what I came to think of as my contraction pit crew. They were the ones who pulled my robe off and put it back on according to my body temperature. They tried to convince me to sip the water I'd later retch up. Every 15 minutes, a midwife or one of her apprentices would crouch down and listen to the baby's heartbeat through a stethoscope to, and assure me that everything was okay. But otherwise, the four of us were left alone doing our circuit of stairs, ball, robe, no robe, bathtub, lunge, howl. It went on and on and on and on, all through the day and deep into the night. I laughed, I cried, I despaired, I pondered the possibility of going to a hospital and getting a C-section or at least an epidural. I resolved to stick it out so long as my baby was okay. I remembered to feel grateful. I told dirty jokes. I swore. I surrendered. I begged the spirit of my mother to come help me, and she did. At 4.07 in the dark of morning, 43 hours after my first contraction, my son was born. He was dark and gigantic, just shy of 11 pounds. His eyes, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that was the worst part. His eyes were ancient, going to me and to his father and then back again. He looked at me like he knew everything already. He loved me from the start. So Paul, like me, couldn't possibly comprehend the agony of childbirth, but he reaches for it anyway in Romans 8.22. 
He says the whole creation and us along with it groan like Cheryl did, enduring not only hours of pain, but centuries. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Dave preached from Romans chapter eight, verse 18, which says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul in that passage claims that all the suffering that has taken place throughout history is all worth it because of the hope of future glory. And Dave gave this really great illustration of um, if glory were like a 94 gallon trash can filled with water, our present suffering would be like two teaspoons, okay? A small fraction of the shalom, the flourishing, the rest, the beauty that awaits us upon Christ's return. And so if verse 18 is sort of a comparison of quantity, between suffering and glory, today's passage is more of a comparison of quality, okay? And what better way to illustrate that than childbirth, right? What do we learn about this woman? Like, if you met this woman, Cheryl, like, what do you think about her? Like, she's a major badass, right? Like, can we just take a moment to acknowledge the absolute strength and resilience of mothers who give birth? Where where are our moms at? Okay, in the room. Bless you, ladies, right? I took a Valium, a local anesthetic, had my procedure and walked out about 30 minutes later, right? Renee even had to warn the people when I had my procedure done, like, hey, he's probably gonna pass out, so you need to distract him. She's like, oh, all the men struggle with that. You know, men are like total wusses, right, when it comes to these things. So it's like, man, how do women do it? Like, how do they go through this? What, what drives them? It's the love they have for their child. Right? This human life that they have co-created, they've protected this baby, nourished this baby, made sacrifices for this baby, named the baby, spoken to the baby, sang to them, rocked them, carried them. A mother would go through hell for their baby. And in Cheryl's case, she did. But it was worth it to her because of her love for that child. And her absolute certainty that the presence of that baby in her life would be the greatest reward she ever received from that. Okay, ask any mother after hours of labor how she feels once her baby is laid on her chest for the first time, right? What are the words that are used? Euphoria, pure joy, gratitude, peace. They go in an instant from like hell on earth to heaven on earth, right? In an instant. So that's the illustration that Paul uses for us this morning. And so here's what is on my heart to share this morning. It's this, that together with creation, we are pregnant with hope, laboring with the promise of redemption. That's what's coming for us. Cheryl mentioned in her story that she considered the epidural right, or a C-section many times. And so I wonder, like, what is our escape hatch? What way out do we look for, a way out of the suffering? The invitation as Christians is like, no, don't, don't opt out. Stay present, stay the course, trusting Christ for the reward 
of redemption. And it really continues this theme that Dave preached and then Rob preached last Sunday, and I'm preaching again of just this idea of the mysterious hope of like, how can all of this stuff be worth it? And yet Christ says it is. And it's because I am the proper reward and I'm enough. Okay, let me pray and we'll jump in. Dear Father, I, I'm really sad as I think about the women that have had to endure such pain in childbearing. And so I just take a moment even to just grieve that with you this morning, to even grieve for women who have lost their lives throughout history, who have died giving birth. God, I grieve for barren women, women who have spent thousands of dollars pleading with you to open their womb. God, I grieve for aborted children, for children who have died in the womb due to complications or died during childbirth. God, I grieve for our single women who long to be mothers but do not yet have a spouse or cannot yet carry a baby. God, I ache for these horrors, and yet I thank you that even though I cannot sympathize with those things, you can. You groaned with the groans of creation. You groaned the ache of suffering and death, and then you, Jesus, turned death on its head. And so, Lord, you are truly our only hope this morning. The hope of redemption that we long for is in you, and so I just pray that you would teach us you would fill us with your hope, that you would make your word come alive, that you would transform us this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter eight and we'll pick it up in verse 19. So Paul is, he's sort of been talking about what happened to creation when mankind rebelled against God and chose to sin. He says in verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us, okay? The creation's been waiting for Jesus to come and become the firstborn of a new kind of humanity, a new and different Adam. Why is that? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, okay? Dave talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He said that God is the one who subjected the earth to all of its tragedies and unnatural disasters in order to preserve man, because as Dave put it, if God had not cursed the material world, but let it flourish without humanity, it would have signaled God giving up on humanity, okay? So God subjects creation to Uh, futility um, for this reason, in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, so God's promise was the hope of a new humanity set free from the bondage of sin who would inaugurate a new moment in history that gives creation itself 
hope that all of this futility that it had been subjected to would finally come to an end. And so what Paul is doing is personifying creation and then invites us to consider the level of suffering that it has endured. And so that's where we pick it up in our text today in verse 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I was thinking this week about how much of my own suffering I think about. When I think about the fall, when I think about the rebellion, I think a lot about the suffering that it's caused me and rarely consider how much creation has suffered long before I was ever here. Right? And I was, I was super instructed by Dave's sermon um, because he pointed out that creation is really the, the true victim of human rebellion, Right? Imagine the animals, like how they scattered when God skinned one of them in the garden in order to clothe Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. Imagine the first tornado, hurricane, earthquake, the trauma that that was causing on the earth. Any brief study in geology shows us how unkind history has been to the earth, right? Entire species wiped out by unnatural disasters that have become so expected that now we refer to them as natural right? They're so normative. Paul says, if we could take all of the suffering the creation has endured and put it together, it would be like one collective moan pleading with God, like the nation of Israel did, crying out to Yahweh while living under the oppression of Egypt. It's like all creation groaning, saying, set us free from this oppression. Okay, so it's important, I think, for us to recognize that a Christian worldview warrants sympathy for the suffering of the earth. Okay, our understanding of why creation suffers should cause us to grieve not only for our own suffering, but for creation itself. Because in our Christian worldview, we recognize that creation started out perfect. Okay, there was a time in which every system, every season functioned as God intended. So our motivation to love the earth, to care for the earth, is birthed out of the knowledge of what it once was and the hope of what it will someday be again when Christ returns. And this is important to point out because some Christians, even many Christians in our country, have the view that we're sort of just biding our time on this God-forsaken earth, right? Waiting to be swept away into paradise. So kind of who cares what happens to this earth anyway? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that someday Jesus is gonna bring heaven to earth and restore the entire cosmos, bringing it back to the beauty and the glory that it once was. Okay, so Paul is inviting us to acknowledge the suffering of creation, to feel its angst. Imagine if Cheryl's husband, when she's going through this terrible labor, he just says, hey, babe, you know, I'm just gonna wait out in the lobby with a set of noise-canceling headphones for this next round. Is that cool? Can you imagine that? One time when we, right after August was born, maybe, I don't know, a few months after she was born, she'd be up in the night crying, and I was like, hey, babe, I think I'm gonna just like put my earbuds in tonight just so I can get a little bit of sleep, that did not go well at all, okay? <laughs> that did not go. Okay, God's purpose for us as humans from the beginning 
was to subdue, cultivate, and have dominion over the earth, to be stewards of the earth. Psalm 24, verse one and two says, the earth and the Lord is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Okay, so we're designed to be stewards. Then our relationship with creation is fractured when we rebel against God and he subjects the creation to futility. But now, since Christ has come, he has made possible the beginning of this great renewal project of the earth that begins with you and I. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse 18. It says this of Jesus, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Okay, so Jesus didn't just come to earth to sort of save sinners and rescue us out of this terrible place. He came to save all of creation, okay? To, to listen intently to and hear all of its groans, to long with it the completion of his renewal project, okay? And so as Christians, we're invited to participate in that. There's an article I read this week, charging Christians with creation care. They defined it this way. They said, Creation care means caring for all of God's creation by stopping and preventing activities that are harmful. And so some obvious ones listed like air and water pollution, species extinction, okay? And participating in activities that further Christ's reconciliation of all creation to God. Doing creation care fills us with the joy that only comes from doing the will of God. Okay, and so I had to confess this week for myself that often when it comes to the creation, I'd rather just sort of put my noise canceling headphones in and drown out the sounds of creation. Like, what about you? Like, are you, are you mindful? Do you think about the earth, Christ's love for it, his desire to bring full restoration to the earth? Are there practices that we as Christians embody that sort of demonstrate that love and care for the earth. Paul says that we have more reason to kind of co-labor in and share in the suffering of creation and groan with creation. We have more reason than anyone. And he tells us why in verse 23. He says, and not only the creation groans, but we ourselves, here's why we groan too, because we have the first fruits of the spirit. So we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is that when we followed Jesus, we were given a deposit, a down payment that ensures redemption is coming. Okay, the spirit of the living God the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead took up residence within us as a guarantee that Jesus would soon come and someday finish what he started so that without the spirit, we might doubt. But with the spirit, our hope is sure, which is what Rob talked about last week. 
when you have a baby on the way, there is nothing more exciting than seeing them on an ultrasound, okay? It's one of the most amazing uses of modern technology there is, to get to see your child in the womb. We have this great shot of August in the womb, sucking her thumb, right? All the way from that time. Little did we know it would take years and years and years to break her of that habit, right? Um, And thousands of dollars in braces to fix it, right? Um, An ultrasound is this small taste of what is to come. Okay, our friend Cheryl, while she agonized through 43 hours of labor, could picture her child, right? She knew full well what was coming, what was in it for her. Okay, so Paul says, listen, before Christ, you had no hope, okay? There was no way to make sense or meaning out of all the suffering that you witness in your life or that you witness in creation, okay? That's the groan. That's a different kind of groan. That's the groan of despair, okay? Viktor Frankl, a psychiatrist, philosopher, and Holocaust survivor defines despair as suffering without meaning. That's a definition of despair. Like I'm suffering and there's no greater purpose. There's no greater sense or meaning that I can make out of my suffering. Okay, King Solomon knew what that felt like. When he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most solemn books of all the Old Testament, I think, he writes in Ecclesiastes 1-2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And later in verse 12, he says, he calls it a chasing after the wind. Okay. If creation suffers and we suffer along with it, and there's no point to that suffering, then we are right to despair. We are right to descend into the depths of utter hopelessness. And so the question is like, has God given us any reason to believe that there might be some mysterious, glorious meaning tucked between the cracks of all this pain and suffering? And the answer is yes, he has the first fruit of the spirit, like an ultrasound of a heartbeat, the tenderness of a child sucking their thumb, fluttering kicks when they are hungry or excited. That deposit, that guarantee, that first fruit of the spirit gives us hope. So that though we labor and we do, we labor with hope. And the good news is that even creation, as much as it has suffered, what does the scripture tell us about creation? It cries out in worship, right? That even if you fail to worship, the rocks will cry out. So we have this suffering creation, worshiping the creator in hope, okay? We are born with no memory of Eden, And so the spirit reminds us of the way things once were and of the hope that one day they will be restored to that place. Maybe we would rather have an epidural or a C-section. God, just give me some medicine. Help me disassociate from this pain. Right? I need headphones and morphine, God. 
Get me out of this horror. Okay, if that's you this morning, and it is certainly me, I invite you to join me in repentance. To name that and repent. Say, God, I want an escape hatch. Or I want temporary relief. I want some form of medication. See, when we drown out the groans, we also drown out the spirit who groans on our behalf. That's the way it works. So if we wanna turn up the volume of the spirit, we've gotta let him control the volume. We have to receive from him. Hey, it's gonna get louder in here, but my voice is going to be above the pain and I want you to hear it. I'm thankful for this morning for the timing of an illustration from Paul in Romans 8 of a woman in labor because we are approaching Advent. Okay, the most important birth story in all of history. 2,000 years ago, a young, scared, courageous, faithful woman labored in a barn, surrounded by creation, right, by animals, and she gave birth to God's own son. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. He was the one creation was waiting for. Right? He's the sign that a new humanity is about to take over the earth. There's gonna be a new kingdom of men and women who would have this new lasting love for their creation, a people who would once again steward the earth the way, the way that God intended to and sort of signal that hope. So Jesus came to see with his own eyes, to hear with his own ears, all that creation and humanity has suffered. So he came to experience firsthand with his body how expensive the cost would be for all of this suffering. And the cost would be great, right? The, the futility that God subjected to the earth would have to be redirected. Where would it go? Okay, and so this is why Paul mentions the word redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Redemption was the word used in the ancient world to refer to a ransom paid to a foreign king by a defeated country for its prisoners. Okay, so it's like a hostage situation. The conquering king held all the cards. He could name any price and the conquered king had to determine the worth and value of his subjects. Would he pay the cost, the ransom, no matter how high? Okay, so Jesus, the redeemer, comes to pay the ransom for all the suffering of creation and our suffering. And the price was beyond what anyone else could pay. He alone could pay that debt. And so he suffered. Okay, so while, while a comparison between a vasectomy and a birth is a, is a joke, right? The cross isn't. Jesus went through hell and back to pay the ransom. 
like a mother who loved their son, enough to endure the agony of birth, so too Jesus willfully endured the cross, scorning its shame so that you and I might be called the beloved adopted children of God. Imagining Jesus' birth this week, I liked Cheryl's description of her own son at the end. And I thought, I wonder if we could use this to describe Christ at his birth. His eyes were ancient. Going to me and to his father and then back again. He looked at me like he knew everything already. He like he loved me from the start. I wonder, do you know just how loved you are by God this morning? How much he sees you, knows you, has been present in your life from the time you were in the womb, crafting your body, your mind, your heart, determining to write your story in a way he knew would be subjected to futility and loss and suffering and hardship. All the while on the side, working out a plan for how he would redeem it all. Hey, I'll, I'll give you back everything that you've lost everything that's been taken from you, every way that you've suffered, I'll give it all back to you and I'll transform it in such a way where there will be a day that you will look back and say, I'm so thankful you allowed me to suffer as you did so that I would depend on you as much as I have, surrender my life to you as much as I have, so that you could come and make me into a different kind of person, a different kind of human than I ever could have been had you not allowed me to suffer. That's the hope of a Christian. Like if you've met somebody who would say, man, I've suffered greatly, but Jesus is so kind. He's changing me. Then you've met a Christian. You've met a person with hope, with the deposit of the spirit, who knows well that their God and King has chosen them, is at work in their life to bring good out of all broken things. while we wait for Christ to come and once and for all restore all of creation, we are invited to listen with Jesus to the suffering around us, both in people and in creation, to engage with courage, 
to hope for redemption, redemption that changes us into people who yearn for the promise of the renewal that is to come. And I love what William Barclay says about what will be true for us someday. He says, someday, the body will no longer be the victim of decay and the instrument of sin. It will be a spiritual body fit for the life of a spiritual person. I long for that day. In the meantime, I joyfully take up Christ's call to co-labor with him, pregnant with hope, refusing to despair because I trust in the mystery of his great purposes. That's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you. Let's pray. God, I can't possibly know what kind of specific suffering is present in the room today, but you do. You know every broken part of our story. God, you know every way that the creation has suffered. So we thank you that we have a sympathetic high priest can sympathize with our every weakness, our every hurt, our every struggle. God, I pray that we would be a people of hope, that we would not despair, though tempted to. There's so much despair around us all the time. We live in a culture and a society that just preaches that everything's meaningless, that the, that the origin story of the planet was chaos, but that's not the truth. You began a good work when you created the earth and everything in it, and you will redeem and restore that. And that includes us. So we thank you for that, Lord. We just give you glory and honor and praise this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen.